0: Violence only attacks the body, but it is nonviolence that has the power to influence the soul and reshape it towards a peaceful future. Apajit Naskar Bending Not Breaking Season 3, Episode 21, Sozing's Comment Part 4 Avatar Aang, and welcome back to another episode of Bending On Breaking. I'm Sunshine, and this is Ben. And we are maxless this episode, oh, which is no. Which is he's fine, he's good, he's here. But uh, I think we've got what I to as if to have a guest to kind of be in place of Max. I think we've got probably as, one of the best ones I, that we can. I have. I agree, <laughs>
1: especially on like the season finale, y'all. This is big.
0: The season finale. I, so much happens in this like 23 minute arc and i can't wait to talk about it ben
1: who do we have here today y'all i am so excited to share that we have andre henry with us andre how are you
2: i'm doing okay thanks for having me
1: of course no goodness we are so grateful to have you like oh god like thank you for blessing us with your presence Uh, and your wisdom and knowledge so uh, Andre y'all has been and I'm not gonna talk for him but I'll I'll let him talk a little bit about himself but one of the things that I definitely want to highlight is that Andre is an activist uh, and you can find him at Hope and Hard Pills you can search for that he has a podcast with a lot of amazing guests on it uh, really doing great work in fighting you know all the racist patriarchal things that are going on right now in this country and so Andre, you uh what what can you tell us just about you? How did you get started? What is your tell us just a little bit of a glimpse into your story and what is guiding you right now?
2: Yeah, for sure. So um I I primarily identify as an artist. I've been making music for most of my life and um my <laughs> my my art <laughs> kind of turned into kind of turned political. Um, in 2016 when I watched uh, a man named Philando Castile uh, bleed to death on Facebook Live after being shot by a police officer in Minneapolis and I made a commitment that day to uh, study everything that I can about systemic racism to uh, pursue the question of how do ordinary people work together to change the world just like uh, my ancestors Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and John Lewis and Fannie Lou Hamer and others and that I would invest my body in the struggle for racial justice. And since then, um, I have found myself uh, reading a ton of literature about nonviolent struggle, uh, meeting people who have become friends, who have led revolutions, who have toppled dictators, who have started international movements, and um, trying to share that information that I've gained on that serious intellectual quest as often as possible through my writing and through my music, and through speaking, and through trying to continue organizing uh, actions of my own. I
1: love it, yeah. And I listening to your music has been really, uh, I think the word is invitational for me. Like mm. I, I hear it and I feel one, invited in, and two, it's like a mixture between a call to action and an invite mm. into, and I, and I just feel really moved by it. So I just, I highly recommend um, people to to seek that out. I think it's been really special to be a part of that. Thank you. Certainly. Uh, I, I don't know. I, did, I don't know if we've talked about it offline, but I was a music major in college. So oh. I was a vo- v- vocal performance. Um, and so. No, I did not I, know I, that. Yeah. yeah. So I just, I have a real appreciation for that.
0: Yeah. I did advertising. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I don't use that degree. That was that was fifty thousand dollars in student loans that I maybe shouldn't have taken out. Um, but no, I think one that that work is so uh, crucial, right? Like, yes. Which is yes. an understatement of the century. Um, and I feel like we deeply see that throughout Avatar, which is w- one of the reasons it's so compelling. Is this? Um, this fight for people mm-hmm. and this fight for for belonging and balance and um and so talk what how, where's your avatar journey begin how did you get into to watching the show and and finding it you know a place with with this community or yeah um, this fandom
2: well i mean avatar was on the air so long ago that i don't remember how i started watching it um all i remember is um I remember after it had gone off the air, I found these DVDs, I think, at Barnes & Noble, and I was like, oh, man, I, 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 I need these. And, um, <laughs> and so I, that was like in 2009, I think it was, maybe a little later, possibly a little later. Um, but anyway, I, I got those DVDs, and uh, since then, I've just watched the series multiple times. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Cool. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's, it's so it, the the last episode aired in two thousand eight in May, mm-hmm. I think, ish. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. So you've been in it from the beginning almost, which is really cool. Yeah,
2: I was seeing it when it was on the air, and then um, I I don't remember if I finished it the first time when it was on the air, but I definitely remember like just really loving the show. And when I found those DVDs, sure. I was like oh my gosh, I, I need to watch this again. And it's so funny. Now like, I'm for sure. In. <laughs> at the time when I was watching it on the DVDs, I was going through like a lot in my life and I was like, man, this story is so deep. You know, like, um, yes. I just think that the, obviously just the the narrative arc of the characters and all that, like, I think is just one of the best that has ever been done on television. But um, here, here, here. in addition to that, I think that there is so much uh, spiritual depth there's so much uh political like I don't know what you'd call it like but there's there's something about like the the political the way that it depicts politics is what I'm saying national politics it's certainly a, it's a political commentary yes for ex- sure exactly <laughs> exactly and then I mean
0: half the fandom tells tells us not to put politics into this and it, that's always been my struggle it's been like I I don't know how to put anything into the show that isn't already there. How can you yes. not? Like,
2: it's <laughs> right? clearly, like, depicting imperialism, um, international politics, you know, all those kind of stuff. For is, sure. It's just, it's part of the show, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, know. Uh, exactly. <laughs> it's like the, the the crux of this narrative has to do with what the Fire Nation is doing. <laughs> so, um, that cool. part. But then after my, my quest into Nonviolent Struggle, I started seeing it through another lens when I watched it again as well and thinking about um, you know, how these people who are basically fighting off oppression, imperial oppression, like how they go about doing that, and especially with the, the solution of how Aang deals with Fire Lord Sozin.
1: Yeah. So let's let's talk about this for a second. So you I asked you, hey, what lens do you want to look at this episode through? Mm -hmm. And you responded with, let's do it through nonviolent struggle. Yeah. And so I I would love it if you could help us. Let's capture what nonviolent struggle is. What is nonviolent struggle?
2: And then we might have a few follow-up questions based off what you you say. Great. Let's define nonviolent struggle as briefly as possible. And one way that I like to do this is by saying that nonviolent struggle... Is a way that ordinary citizens fight against uh, social injustice, social oppression, uh, and what now without the use of weapons and without uh, causing other people harm, like physical harm. I think that's the easiest way <laughs> way to, to to define that, because there is like there's so much that could be said. For sure. Okay. I have follow-up questions Sunshine. okay let's, let's <laughs>
1: so, do it
0: let's go let's dive in let's
1: I, let's go go ahead
0: i think for so for me the to, to define violence is is probably the important part especially as we're in a, a slew of political season where we're seeing non-stop ads yes kind of being pushed out that are like the violence in america and there's violence everywhere and joe biden's america and there's violence like all of these <laughs> things and all of these protests are violent and yes and the reality is there was even an, uh, an article that just came out or a study that just came out that said 93% of these protests have been just uh, completely peaceful. Yep. Um, but we, when you ask the average American, there, I think it was 48% are saying, like, no, they're violent. Yeah. And this idea of what is violence versus, like, what is uncomfortable and, like, what is something that we don't like. Yes. But definitely isn't violence. But because we haven't – we're not oppressed – Mm-hmm. this discomfort or like this inconvenience feels like violence. to Right.
2: Us. Yeah. Um, this is a. P- so where's
0: that? What is that line?
2: This is this is something that is really important to me because I feel like when people hear nonviolence, contemporary people hear the term nonviolence, they mean a lot of things that I'm not referring to. <laughs> and one of those things is that And this is kind of an old problem, like Thoreau and Tolstoy and Dr. King and Gandhi were all writing about this, that for a long time, people think of nonviolence as inaction. All right. So,
1: yeah, when you get down
2: to like when you get down to like uh, asking people, well, what do they mean when they mean to go about things peacefully or nonviolently? like at the end of the day you'll end up with pretty much nothing <laughs> you
0: know this is like we actually just want we don't want you to inconvenience our lives in any way shape or form and so anything outside of that was going to feel violent Yeah. just don't do that yeah, right this is, like that's the response
2: this is the Colin Kaepernick thing you know where he's right. like he's kneeling on the field and people are like well you know he shouldn't be doing that it's like well do you want for him to you know go break a window at Bank of America to get your attention Obviously not. You know, do you want for him? They're like, you know, just just protest like at home when no one can see you or hear you is basically like what people want for him to do. So anyway, that's one thing um, that 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 we need to make a distinction that vi- that nonviolent struggle is actually active and it's disruptive. It, it actually seeks to disrupt the status quo just without causing physical harm to anyone. Um, Another question in this, like, what people bring up is, like, well, what what does that mean about property, right? Like, can you call yourself doing a nonviolent protest or nonviolent struggle if you're setting cars on fire, breaking windows, throwing rocks, or whatever? And I would say that, (laughs) uh, no, that doesn't, that's not really the kind of, I mean, Sure, there's some people who could make some, philosoph- you could make some philosophical arguments about property and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, typically in nonviolent struggle, you're not destroying property either. So when we talk about nonviolent struggle, we're talking about things like boycotts, strikes, marches, sit-ins, uh, making signs and posters, chanting songs, all that kind of stuff. Okay which
0: yeah so at, let's uh, yeah i feel pretty solid about that definition for kind of moving forward the the, the google you know <laughs> the, the, the google. google definition um which we've realized in past episodes is not necessarily one that's all encompassing it's typically written by you know whoever is mm-hmm. google the deemed worthy right the patriarchy or mm-hmm. or you know yeah. um typically old white people who've decided what a definition is um <laughs> The the practice of achieving goals, is social change through symbolic protest, civil disobedience, economic and political non-cooperation, um, or other uh, methods while being non-violent, violence being a behavior that's physical force intended to hurt, damage, or or kill someone or something.
2: Yeah, that's a pretty good. Um, that's a pretty good definition.
0: We'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> um, the the second part to violence is the on unla- the unlawful exercise of physical force or intimidation uh-huh. uh, by the uh, ex- exhibition of such for, uh-huh. force and to me it's the unlawful part of that is like what a vague term especially in a time where you're looking at it now where it's like well what make so if police officers do it and it's not deemed and they're not being held accountable for it does that make it lawful so it's not violent so it's cool yeah. or is it and then if you react to them bringing force onto you like one of those um, I think about back of the the riots back in Ferguson where mm-hmm. they threw the tear gas back at the police. Yeah. Um, and then you have oh well that was attempted you know murder on a on an officer or att- like deadly weapon on an officer and you're like kidding me oh like. yeah like the violence <laughs> like. of
2: the the violence of the state is often invisible to the general public and you know that's something that yes. we ha- that's something that we have to work against as people who are committed to nonviolent struggle is to expose the violence and the brutality of the state as something that is uh unjustifiable something that is unreasonable uh something that needs to change
0: absolutely and it's it, i mean even as we go back to the aforementioned article that came out and i wanted i can't remember who put it out or the, the study that came out but it was 54 percent of those peaceful marches were met with some form of, of police action mm-hmm. um and so if you're going well if 93 of them were peaceful why did 54 of them result in gas or any other form of you know protest breakup or violence towards the people in the short Um, the short
2: answer is that the police are paid to stop uh people who want to change the status quo like that's that's it's a part of their job is (laughs) is to protect the status quo and the tools that they have to do that are tools for war (laughs) you know that's why they're using tear gas and and guns and light cannons and sound cannons and tanks and helicopters and all this other all this entire arsenal of violence Oof! There's a lot there, I'm, and I'm really excited
1: to now kind of bring this to the episode and like dive into these really important points um, about how we see it happen in this episode. So, uh, sunshine, you have the That's privilege. That's not true, Ben. It is your turn for the thirty-second recap, recap. Ben,
0: this ben, episode. Ben, Ben, your it's turn. Your turn. It's your turn. It's your turn. It's an odd episode. No, We've no. Had this odd episodes are your responsibility. Time. And away we. Go.
1: Okay, so here's what happens. Ozai unlocks ang's Chakra, like the best chiropractor ever, causing him to enter the Avatar state, and then boom boom, thank you, ma'am, takes him down. Order of the White Lotus uh successfully liberates Bossing Sei. Uh Toth Saka and Toph, you know, disable all the airships, Katara and Az- defeats Azula, heals Zuko. Uh, you know, all the things happen and then, you know, fi- newly important like, Five they, they wins and the Phoenix Quicks goes down and then Zuko is Fire Lord and Three, then Aang's happy and then Tang and Katara Kiss. One. It's great.
0: <laughs> Aang and Katara Kiss. It's great. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> we love to see it because then in all the comics they get all I always do and like call each other sweetheart on a regular basis. Sweet. And it's, it's, yeah, I don't love it. It fits them. Oh, but, like, I think I, it's so on brand. It, Yeah. For them, it's, yeah, but I just don't, you know I'm I, on the soccer tough side after
1: doing a season's worth of 30 second recaps, I realized that I am really good at the front half and then really good at speedily running through the second half and <laughs> <laughs> <I've been> skipping <laughs> half the details
0: Get through the first like 15 minutes of the show and then, and then the final is the end, and then the rest of the episode happens yeah <laughs> so um, but let's talk about as, as we look through this episode, Uh, And Andre, I will throw it to you first What's a giant moment for you of of nonviolent struggle?
2: Well, uh, it really is the way that Aang decides to defeat Ozai (laughs) You know, Um, he's agonized over the fact that he does not want to just kill the Fire Lord And he has talked to every avatar that he can pull (laughs) That he can manifest from the past to try to tell him that he doesn't have to And his decision to take away Ozai's uh, ability to bend rather than to kill Ozai is, you know, part of the reason why I love this show so much and partly Mm. why I wanted to do uh, this through the lens of nonviolent struggle.
1: Yeah, this moment's so big and like it's like one of... It's just, it's a huge climactic point, and, and I think it's really interesting, and part of the reason it's so climactic is because Aang's legacy, his inheritance, if you will, by means of all the past avatars, like, leads him to take Ozai's life. All of them are like, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. Yes. This is just, this is the hard part, but, you know, sometimes you gotta make tough decisions. Yeah. And... Aang, we, we see him like he is about to take he's about to take him down he has all four elements spiraling down towards ozai mm-hmm. and then ang like says no mm-hmm. and i i find that to be really compelling because that moment is throughout the series we've said the avatar state is where ang has lost control he goes into avatar state because he has lost control of his emotions he's lost right. control of He's just overwhelmed in the moment. Fear. Fear, whatever it may be. And it's, I I think this signifies, in a way, like emotional mastery Mm -hmm. because he is able to step out of that, quote, like violent act. Yes. And, uh, We see him like this is the peak Of an immensely emotional moment and he steps out of it And it's just his ability to step out here To stop before killing Ozai is just a testament To his growth Yeah. over the past These three seasons
2: Yeah. Well there's a classic argument That is enacted Through this scene Where you know Ozai When Aang Initially says he's not going to kill him Ozai's response is you're weak and so he's going to Try to now give Aang the death blow right yeah. And this is yeah. what people say about nonviolence all the time. Like this like violence is just the way of the world. No no battle has ever been won without bloodshed. No people have ever liberated themselves without bloodshed. You know, you you just have to do it. And this is what the other avatars were telling Aang. Um, but Aang uh, No Kiyoshi was. Oh, yes. (laughs) Kiyoshi's like, I don't even see the difference in what you're saying, you know, between. I don't understand why this is a difficult decision for you. Yeah. Right. So so that that's a classic argument between violence and nonviolence. And Aang turns around with this creativity, uh, this nonviolent creativity and removes Ozai's resources his ability to wage violence and that is the essence of nonviolent struggle that so many ordinary people don't know about. So when we think about nonviolence in our in our contemporary society, everybody thinks that basically it's about first off espousing that you're against violence and then doing nothing basically to people who do who do want to do violence or you know doing a march on the sidewalk so it doesn't interrupt traffic or you know putting a black lives matter sign in your window or something like that, right? But what Aang does is remove his resources. And this is something, if anyone reads the literature on nonviolent struggle, like this is a classic, this is, the, this is the grand strategy of nonviolent struggle is, you identify what your oppressive opponent, what are the resources that they need in order to carry out their oppression? And how can, mm-hmm. how can ordinary people remove those resources through their non-cooperation with the status quo?
1: Wow. So I, I'm in a class right now, uh, and one of the th- one of the themes of it is the the difference between charity and justice, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And my my argument is that charity is addressing the symptom, whereas justice addresses the cause of yes. said system, yes. right? Of said symptom, mm-hmm. and it seems to me like the removal of resources is address is justice, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Versus treating. Oh, you're suffering from you know firebending attack let me help you by providing <laughs> you these the like i'm gonna give you all these resources to help you continue to endure right right mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's like charity if you will and so like it's interesting to me because I, I, nonviolent struggle uh and as you said this being like the grand example of what this could look like i, I what i hear you saying is that the element of creativity to consider how you remove those resources to enact justice is really crucial. Yeah, right? well,
2: at the end of the day like there has to be some kind of, um, okay, basically we're talking about imagination, right? Of course, it, of course it's going to take some creativity because those who engage in nonviolent struggle usually do so because they have no choice. right. So like when people talk about ending systemic racism by taking up arms, I'm always like, that's never going to work, right? Because you're talking about taking on the U.S. military, right? Uh, you don't have the kind of firepower and res- <laughs> you, you don't have the kind of firepower yeah. and arsenal to do that. And so, one thing that uh, limitations always rec- always uh, they they demand creativity, and so the oppressed who are severely under-resourced, like these people who are fighting the Fire Nation, Saka, Toph, Aang, you know, Momo, Appa, you know, like, they don't have the resources to take on the Fire Nation in that way. So that's one thing that... Uh, I'm saying that creativity is always the, the offspring of limitations. And, so, and people who have to do, engage in non, nonviolent struggle are often have to do so because they are limited. And so therefore, it, it requires a creativity to figure out, okay, well, we don't have the firepower to hit our enemy where, they're, where they are strong, which, and they are strong at doing like conventional warfare. But we do have the resources To prevent them from continuing to uh to maintain their oppression their oppressive hold on us and so that's how you end up getting these like very creative actions throughout history you know like in the philippine revolution for instance like the army comes out with their tanks and their guns and all this kind of stuff and then you have thousands of ordinary uh filipinos who uh, come out with cheeseburgers and orange soda, and they're yelling at—they're yelling with smiles on their faces at the soldiers, saying, "What are you doing up there, shooting at your neighbors? You should come down here and eat with us." You know? Yes. Um, so, yeah, there is a huge element of creativity and a huge element of imagination because usually when you say. Hey, we've got to go about this another way. The first thing that people say is, well, what else are we going to do? You know, that's why people say things like the only way that you're going to be able to free yourselves is by taking up arms or guerrilla warfare or by killing all the white supremacists or something like that, right? And you have to have people who have another kind of imagination or the ability to imagine winning by some other way.
0: And we see. When we're, when we're looking at Aang in this moment, I think it's... You see him living into his values, which is something that we kind of talk about all the time, is that he, him understanding and having enough self-awareness to kind of say, murdering Ozai is not a part of my value system. Yeah. It's not something that I'm going to justify or try to finagle. It's This isn't what I want. This isn't my value system. And it's it takes a lot of courage, and it is tough <laughs> to to be able to kind of say no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna act inside of my value system right now at, at arguably one of the most difficult points to do so. Um,
2: yeah, I also think that so Aang is struggling with the fact that if he kills Ozai, that's gonna be on his conscience the rest of his life, right? right. And so there's this huge question that Aang seems to be as- asking himself, which is um, no matter what everybody says is necessary, who will I have to become in order to carry this out, right? And that is such an important question for people who want to change the world. When we ask about the means by which they're going to go about doing it is like, sure, like you can make the argument that in order to break off violent oppressors that you need to use violence, but who will you become in the process of taking up that kind of taking those kinds of means? Question.
1: So, i uh... I'm so one of the arguments I foresee happening uh, when people listen to this is, but but this is an inherently violent episode. There's every the whole episode is fighting. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Uh, And so I'm I'm struck by this perception that like nonviolent struggle has no violence, right? Uh, And so like what I'm seeing is that violence. Is in this episode is a response to the loss of safety. Mm, All of mm-hmm. the fighting on behalf of the ang and the gang are are it's defensive, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Um. And so one of the things you say is the oppressed cannot be blamed when the oppressors refuse to engage with nonviolent actions
2: yeah. In diplomatic conversations. For sure, right? Yeah. That's a you quote. So yes. can you elaborate on that? Well, <clears throat> when I talk about nonviolence, I'm not talking about morality, right? Um, there there is, there are so many people throughout history who have talked about nonviolent struggle on the basis of what is moral, what is immoral, all that kind of thing. And I respect them. Um, but I'm talking about nonviolent struggle as a strategy, you know, <laughs> uh, a weapon system that doesn't involve conventional weapons, right? And in that sense, um, so on that note, I can say that like those people who find themselves needing to Uh, Take up arms in some way in self-defense. Like, I also respect that position. You know, it's just not something that I'm able to organize personally. And so that quote that you the you quoting me is merely is really me paraphrasing Nelson Mandela, uh, who actually said that about the apartheid regime, where he said, listen, like the oppressed cannot be blamed if their oppressors aren't going to respond to nonviolence. And so I agree actually throughout the show of Avatar, there is tons of violence, right. From, from this same group that ends up defeating Ozai nonviolently. And that was Aang's choice. So, I mean, one thing that I think of is Eric McBay's work. Uh, He, he's released a two volume book called full spectrum resistance. And he talks about how, uh, in a, in movements for social progress, there are all kinds of different groups, and all of them take on different roles. And some people take on more radical actions, like what we see Toff and Saka doing. They're they're engaging in acts of sabotage, right? Yeah, like, they are. Like, yeah. they're, they're destroying uh, enemy ships and things like that, right? Taking down blimps. Yeah, he's helping.
0: That moment yeah. where Toff is hanging by Sokka's fingertips, I, like,
1: ugh. <laughs> uh, well, and you have to, like, and she yeah. can't see
0: in that and moment. She can't see. She's got no way. To, she's, she, right. she knows she's lost she's, her sense she's of sight. She's feeling him in this moment, and that. Oh, yeah. Cheers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so the th- the the argument that Eric McBay is making in his book is that you know people who engage in those acts of sabotage and stuff like that, like they have a role in revolutions sometimes. You know, and I think that's true in thinking of America's revolution that founded America you know like taking all that british tea and dumping it into the harbor you know uh that was an act of that was an act of sabotage it was destructive but it had its Absolutely. role you know and so it's not something that I advise people to do like i i wouldn't advise people to go trying to like sabotage you know uh sabotage you know I mean for instance like I'm like you know going and making sure you know I don't know like slashing police tires or something like that. Like I would not advise people to do things like that. And at the same time, like there are these instances in history where people have engaged in radical actions and those have been a part of the movements for, for um social justice. I mean, think of the women's suffrage movement in America. Like those women were not talking about how can they make sure that they don't make anyone upset or that they don't hurt anybody. Yeah. <laughs> like they were throwing down, you know, to get the right to vote. Yeah. And so sometimes it has its place and usually it has its place when the people, when the press people have been backed into the corner so much that they feel like they don't have any other recourse.
1: Yeah, so that really speaks to this moment with Aang, right? So one of the things the Lion Turtle says to Aang is that if you try to take someone's bending, like your spirit risks being corrupted and destroyed, right? And so Aang takes a a massive risk by taking the nonviolent route. Like, he, he he's at personal risk, not because he's not powerful enough to take Ozai down literally with his bending, but because his spirit risks being corrupted if he goes the nonviolent route, if he isn't strong enough. Mm. And so what I'm hearing and what I'm reading from that analysis and from what you're saying is it t- it takes so much more, you said creativity before, but also so much more courage to do this to 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 take the nonviolent route than it does to take his life. Like taking his life is the easy way out, it seems like. So to take the source of his oppressive power and imprison him seems like a much more challenging prospect.
2: Nonviolent struggle is very challenging. you know, some people some people like to think of it as though it's weak, and usually it's because they're thinking of inaction as nonviolent struggle. But even Gandhi said that, like, you know, he can take a violent person and he can train them to be nonviolent. Um, but, at, but at the end of the day, if the choice is between nonviolence and inaction, um, sorry, if the choice is between violence and inaction, it would, it would be better to choose violence, um, which is a Gandhi quote, and King, King repeated it as well. And so, um, but, but to be nonviolent, it takes a lot of training and it takes practice because that's not that's not our natural inclination you know our natural inclination when we are being attacked is to use force to defend ourselves and so this is why like civil rights activists actually gathered to practice how to maintain nonviolent discipline because it does it takes it it takes courage first off because you you are going to get a violent response like this myth, Absolutely. this myth that like, if you do it peacefully, quote unquote, peacefully, which is probably why we shouldn't even use the word peaceful, because nonviolent struggle is meant to disturb the peace. But if you do it nonviolently, mm-hmm. this myth that if you do it nonviolently, that the powers that be will handle you gently is just wrong. You know, they they beat up uh, old women and students and pastors in the 1950s and 60s for peacefully you know, sorry, nonviolently confronting the Jim Crow uh, situation. So that's that's one thing. So that's why it takes courage because you will get a violent response, but it also takes a tremendous amount of discipline and it takes a tremendous amount of uh, self-restraint and hope, right? It t- you have to believe that the people watching you or the people that will see this this thing will be able to recognize the violence of the state right, that it will reveal the violence of the state for what it is.
0: And I think we see that right now. We've seen moments, especially with the rise of social media and Twitter and, all, and TikTok and all these ways for us to, to capture those moments are moments of instigation from the state um, waiting for that violence response to trigger then a, what is a justified violent response mm-hmm. in that moment because they, you know, they attacked us even though we see that instigated over time. Mm-hmm. Um which is, which is, I mean, it's tough to, to hear that conversation. And we witness Ang, like Ozai's trying to break into that rock ball at the beginning of the episode. Like it's a Nestle Wonder ball with <laughs> sprinkles inside. Um, and we, Ang, you get backed into that corner and, and how it's, it's tough to be creative or imaginative in that moment right there where it's like, is this life or death? Is this, is this it? Is this the end? Right. Um, And so how do we, how do we stay
2: that way? Well, I think that the, the issue, like the, sorry, the truth of it is that Aang has been training for that his whole life, you know? Yes. That's what I was going to say. Whenever you see, whenever you see Aang fighting throughout the series, like he typically is evading and trying to wear his opponent down right now. I'm, I'm not going to lie. There are some moments where I'm like, I don't know if we can say that Aang was being nonviolent. Like, the the when he goes into the Avatar state and becomes this water monster. I can't remember what season that is, but Giant Water koi, Season one, end of season yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of season one at the Northern Water Tribe, like, I don't know if we can say that Aang took a nonviolent response because I don't know what happened to all those soldiers. Like, did he drown all those people? You know, at the at the Northern Water Tribe. But for the most part, when we see Aang fighting, Aang is usually not, you know, trying to actually like directly you know, blow someone off a cliff, right? Or into a canyon or something like that, right? Yeah, for sure. Two points. One, uh,
1: the that is a recurring uh, theme on a lot of the Facebook groups and social media things, talking about like, Aang actually has killed a lot of people. Mm. I have an argument against that. Okay. And uh, I believe that being the Avatar means he is also, because he is also so connected with the spirits, I believe that what actually potentially killed those people is is the ocean spirit in response to losing the moon.
2: Interesting. And
1: so I think that Aang was the vehicle through which that occurred, and I, I because as we as we have been saying, I think that's su- pretty intensely out of character for Aang to mm. to do something like that. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of my you know head cannon, if you will um regarding that and two i wanted to circle back to what you were saying about how it requires discipline yeah. to, to be nonviolent, mm-hmm. and i i think that one of the things that i don't want to miss is that for for three seasons we have watched Aang be in intensely disciplined in regards to having to learn four elements yeah uh and like we had to learn airbending, had to learn water bending, earth bending, firebending. He struggled with almost all of those things. Yeah. He had to like seriously temper how he was working in emotionally with all these we talked at the beginning about his emotional growth and how he was able to step out of, like right. the amount of work that Aang put into this mm. I think is something that we really need to focus as a case study in terms of nonviolent struggle because you, one, you mentioned that we need the discipline and the training. And yes. two, we see Aang as a model for that. And I think that's really important to highlight.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, the more people... So, like, if we're not trained for nonviolent struggle, what we're going to do is default to whatever our, you know, whatever our instincts are. <laughs> <You> know. <laughs> and so we have, to de- sure. we have to develop the skills for nonviolent struggle. Uh, we have to develop the instincts for us to fight nonviolently and to fight uh, to fight well nonviolently. So,
1: question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have lots of questions for you. Uh, I go the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have another quote from you, uh-huh. uh, and this may be you paraphrasing somebody else, but I have it attributed to you. But uh, your quote is, if we flatten people into pure villains, mm-hmm. we may be setting ourselves on a trajectory for violence yes. rather than restorative justice. Yes. And so I find this really compelling because mm-hmm. we talk all the time on this show about assuming the best in people. Yeah. And uh, what is the what is the hypothesis of generosity, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that I, I think allows Aang to make the nonviolent choice in this moment is to see Ozai as deserving, hu- like he is human. He yes. is ha- deserves the same human dignity that we would give our neighbor, if you will. Yes. Right? So the whole p- idea of loving your neighbor kind of as a, a, mm-hmm. a concept.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so can you kind of, um, can you speak to that for me? Well, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So in, in principled nonviolence, and that's the type of nonviolence that Gandhi and King practiced, Um, while I'm at it I just want to maybe circle back to just another question that when we talked about like how I don't I don't poo-poo on oppressed people who feel like they need to you know they need to do the more radical actions or if they feel like they need to take up arms or whatever like I don't I don't poo-poo on that because that's their decision to make sure um but uh, in principled nonviolence, that's that's why I want to just contra- contrast those things. And I'm talking about strategic okay. nonviolence. Um, in principled nonviolence, you have people like Dr. King, like Gandhi. And one of the things that they say is that, uh, well, there are a couple things. One is that we're not fighting against people. We're fighting against systems of oppression. We're fighting against powers, you know. Um, And so that allows people who are engaging in nonviolent struggle to see the people who are standing in direct opposition to them as full human beings. And a part of the goal for principled nonviolent activists or or people who are practicing principled nonviolent struggle in the way of King or Gandhi or whatnot is that after the struggle is over, they want to be able to sit down with the same people who were in opposition to them in beloved community. They wanna be able to have community with them. Um, Another activist named Serja Popovich, who led the movement that overthrew Slobodan Milosevic in uh, the year 2000 in Serbia, uh, Serja talks about how like, Okay, if you t- if you take up armed if you take up armed struggle, okay, this is why it's I'm kind of going in a in a spiral here, but this is also no why this is also why I wanted to s- circle back to the distinction between like this strategic nonviolence and principled nonviolence is because I I appeal to nonviolence not because um, I th- I think it's morally superior, although it may be. Um, I appeal to it because it is strategically more advantageous than trying to go about it any other way. And part of the reason is one that Serja highlights. And that is that after someone tries to go through a violent revolution, you've got all these people who, you know, who are sore after, after the revolution happened because the revolution killed their dad or their brother or their family. And so now within a few years, you've got a bunch of people who want to start the violence to begin just in revenge killings, you know, uh, which is why a lot of times violent revolutions lead to civil war within 10 years. Right. Um, gosh, why was I going down this rabbit trail again? What, what was the question again? I'm going to be able uh, to land this. The, the, <laughs> the original question was
1: uh, if we flatten people into pure villains, okay, we great. may be setting ourselves up. Right? Okay.
2: So the goal in principled nonviolence is you want to be able to be in community with these people afterward. Right. And that's why I brought up, you know, surge and, you know, violence le- leading to all these revenge killings like it continues the cycle of violence. Right. And so a part of what I'm a part of what Aang is able to do, and he doesn't just do this with Ozai, he does it with Zuko, too. So it's like very consistent with his character throughout the, the series is that Aang really does believe that people deep down have some good inside of them or that they're at least... <laughs> worth keeping around right like that we don't just we yeah we see that as early as the the blue spirit episode in season one where he's like hey i think we could be friends right exactly so that we don't we don't just throw people away you know because they're they do bad things right (laughs) dr king was um you know early early dr king uh spoke a lot about this when he spoke about the whites the the white people in the jim crow south who were so controlled by these anti-black ideas that they would lynch black people and hate black people and keep them from entering their businesses and stuff in a sermon where he says that they're not bad people, they're blind people. And so uh, I think that Dr. King may go a little bit too far sometimes because he, he in sure. once in one sermon he says, we will meet your capacity to do violence with our capacity to endure violence. And I'm like, what was that? <laughs> what was the air in the sanctuary? Like in that When he said that in the congregation, (laughs) you know, but there still is this thing in principled nonviolence where, you know, people do want to make this distinction to not flatten people and to say that, you know, they are defined like Brian Stevenson says, they're defined by the worst things that they've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: how does that really relate to what, like the quote unquote, cancel culture that you hear about, right. When I, I honestly think of JK Rowling, who has been given multiple opportunities to, to learn and grow and have a chance to change your language, um, around a community of trans individuals, and
1: has only c- continued to like dig the down. hole. Yeah,
0: each time I feel like she gets that opportunity. And so, where is there a line? Is there a boundary? Is there a place yeah. where it's you know you've kind of lost your seat at the table because we've ch- we've tried. I think. That, um, and what does that look like?
2: I think that cancel culture is a complex thing that we're talking about because on the one hand it is completely valid for oppressed people to decide we are not going to engage with these people who cause us harm, know that they're causing harm and don't show any signs of changing. That's valid, right here, here, you know? And so we, I don't, I think that it's up to people who are okay. When we talk about like Christians love like this thing, uh, or sorry, uh, let me back up a little bit. So we know about the scripture where Jesus says to turn the other cheek. Right. And I'm like, it's up to the person who's been slapped to decide what they're going to do, right? That that decision is up to them, and so I'm not just for just for funsies.
1: I I I'm in divinity school, yeah. so I am very familiar with this, yeah. uh, and I'm not even Christian. So it's one of those things where like I'm familiar with it, but I don't think everyone is. Can you uh,
2: like what? Can you give us that full picture? Yeah. And so the. Yeah. So, you know, Jesus is talking to his disciples uh, in what they call the Sermon on the Mount. And he tells them, you know, if if someone slaps you on the on one cheek, turn the other one to them. I don't remember the exact quote. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so a lot of people bring this up when we're talking about nonviolent struggle. And, you know, the point that I'm making is that we have to let oppressed people do what serves their uh, what serves for their liberation, you know, and they get to decide what that is. So that's one side of the coin when it comes to cancel culture. Um, on the other side, like, I think that things like prison, <laughs> solitary confinement, you know, um, the death penalty, like all of those, those are also cancel culture to me. And I think that those things are just morally wrong, right? Like I think that when someone, you're here, when somebody does something that is, uh, wrong or criminal or whatever, like our default position should not be to just throw them away. Now, when we're talking about, like, someone like J.K. Rowling, who, you know, says, uh, you know, who is not honoring the harm that is being named by that community, I think that trans people get to decide, yeah, I think it's totally valid for them to say, you know what, we're not buying her books, we're not listening to her, all that kind of thing, because she knows that we're causing us harm. Now, At the same time, I think that there are some people who probably know J.K. Rowling more personally who need to take responsibility for trying to help her to really understand the harm that she's causing and not give up on her in the sense that they, uh, you know, try to try to help kind of move her from that place. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's totally not the
1: responsibility of the people who are being directly oppressed, but the people who have the privilege to be kind of the ally if you will right is that the a, a good comparison
2: yeah for sure and i think of some people like you know at the end of the day i just think that we people need forgiveness people need redemption you know i think that is a human need you know and if people have to go on living after they've done something harmful then they need some, some way that they can uh, have a second chance at life. Right. Um, But I do think that we need to make sure that that's qualified in some way. Right. So it's not that we just call it water under the bridge just because it's in the past or just because we all, you know, do harmful things or because we all make mistakes. Like we, I don't think we just gloss over it. And at the same time, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think that it applies differently to different people. We have people in well, Amer- we have people in America who they are living with a scarlet letter on their lives called a felony, right? Because they did something yes, and absolutely. they've been disenfranchised from voting or it's hard for them to find a job or housing or whatever and I think that kind of cancellation is wrong. And then there And let's use Zuko as a model for that. I, yes. I don't mean to interrupt, but Zuko's a really good
1: model for that where we see he's an upstander. He is stand he is a member of the oppressing party. Yep. Right? He is canceled. Like <laughs> uh literally banished and canceled. And right. he is trying his best, and it finally gets back in, and then he becomes this upstander and is saying, no, what is going on is wrong. And I think just Zuko, what is, and how good of a model for this is Zuko,
2: right? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Like, Zuko is such a great example, because I think that Zuko actually does deserve another chance. Well, actually, maybe deserve is not the right word because, like, they would be totally justified to say, no, you never joined Team Avatar, right? Yeah, and we talked um, about that on the episode when he tries to join, yeah. for sure. But, but in letting him in, they give him this chance at redemption that I think that people actually need in order to live well. Now, but I don't think that that applies to automatically applies to everyone and i think the reason why i think that it does apply to to, um zuko is because zuko has this this whole process where he's trying to take responsibility and trying to make amends yeah like the
1: idea of reparation if you will right yes um and he does and like those field trips with zuko in a way Mm -hmm. like it's not a great comparison but in a way it's a form of a uh, of reparation if you will yeah um so I want like I I we've spent a lot of time talking about Aang and Ozai. I really want to make sure we don't forget this moment with Zuko, Azula and Katara, right? What moment?
0: What could you possibly be talking about? <laughs> this giant piece of the episode,
1: right? So I, like you know uh, at this point Zuko has already been lightninged yep. and um, he's down and out and so Katara is now duking it out with Azula and I love this moment because frankly, how, how nonviolent is Katara in this moment, where mm. she, is, she is literally running, she's doing, she is defensive, she gets to the point where she then f- realizes there's water, she identifies the chains, and she is able to capture Azula and not, you know, take her down, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, really neat moment of nonviolence, I thought.
2: Yeah, you know, I yeah,
0: ha- and just unbelievably heartbreaking. Like oh, that's the first one of the first times that you just like full on, just have empathy for the pain and fear and everything that is coursing through Azula. Yeah, um, as she's just like breathing fire. Uh,
2: yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. And I think so much pain. This is also to your other point about like flattening people. Like I think that Avatar does a re- yes. really good job of showing us where Zuko is coming from the whole time, you know, showing us eventually where Azula is coming from. Like you can assume that Azula is, a, is dealing with this, you know, the same trauma or similar trauma to her brother, even though we don't get to see her arc that, I mean, I think they kind of pa- try to pack a lot into the Ember Island Island episode <laughs> so that they're like, yeah. do you yeah. get it? Do you get it now? <laughs> right. um, but I will say that like, I think that this is a part of this like not flattening people where you know, you, you can have this kind of compassion for Azula in that moment, um, because you know that, like, she, she comes from a messed up family. She's, you know, dealing with a lot of trauma. By the end, she's completely isolated herself. You know, she doesn't trust anyone. And that ultimately leads to her ruin. I never thought about Katara's response as nonviolent, but I can see, like, yeah, like she she does a similar thing to Aang, where she just she immobilizes her, right? She she's she's, yeah. she's not going in for the kill. She just wants to stop Azula from being able <laughs> to exactly yeah to fight as she's been doing through the series.
0: Ooh. Another moment of uh, to me of that is is uh, King Boomy just throwing tanks on top of each other. Yep. <laughs> Everyone kind of like gets away, and no one's like really harmed in the process. But yeah. there's then a the tower of tanks that's kind of there afterwards, as uh, where kids are playing soccer around it. Yeah. Um. And um, I think it goes all the way back to season two when he talks about like that neutral gin and that like waiting for the right moment. And but it's also not passive. It's yeah. Um it's kind of that more active moment and so i and i just i love me some king boomy who what you know i like seeing him around and the white lotus order
2: yeah boomy's like super lovable just love that guy as well as iroh like you know these are just great characters in general
0: Well, and talk about the redemption that comes to iroh throughout this entire process and we don't see all of the the war and stuff that happens prior to the show beginning, but we know it's there. We know it exists. And, and Zuko talks about his complicated past. And and we as a fan base love Iroh and his redemption. For sure. We love Zuko and his redemption. Mm-hmm. And we love those characters because they become good. And I wonder how often I personally don't even give that opportunity to other people um, when when I – I love these story arcs when it happens. I love these characters when it happens. We see the good in them. And and how often have I shut people down or out because of
2: that? It's hard. It's it's hard giving people, you know, that space and to, you know, like when you are on the receiving end of that harm, you know, like it's very difficult to step back and to consider, you know, uh, what people's motivations are. Right. And I know that like we talk a lot about in in our culture, how uh, impact is more important than the intent often, you know, and yeah, at the same time, there's a reason why there's a difference between murder and manslaughter, right? Like, I don't know how to resolve these two things, you know, and to make it all line up in like a, a neat way to reconcile all these things. But these these things can be true and stand in tension at the same time. And so, I mean, there have been people in my personal yes. life who have caused a great deal of harm to me, who years later, I'm able to look back and say, you know what? considering what they've been through, considering how they grew up, like I can understand why they were doing that. And even though it caused me a lot of harm, like I'm not going to hold this against them anymore. And then there are people who like, I, you know, something may have happened like last month and I'm like, that person, you know, like, I don't know. (laughs) For sure.
1: Absolutely. So one of the things that comes up as you, as you talk is I'm just, one of the phrases that has stuck with me is from my prior job was one of our uh, three mandates, if you will, is to nurture the potential in every child. Mm -hmm. And that was, we, we, in youth development, we were, we were working with children, right? And so Mm -hmm. uh, to nurture the potential in every child. And I, I really am, I'm, that to me is a really great phrase when it comes to, this concept is how do we nurture the potential for people? Right. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I'll, like in order to forgive, I think it requires that we are considering the potential, right? It's mm-hmm. the, and, and I think like there's this mass group of people who are demand, like, I wish we got this, a uh, redemption arc for Azula. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, I, I get it. And there's a lot of people who are like, nah, she's an unforgivable. And I'm like, but like let's nurture the potential right and and so for me this this concept of of seeing the potential in people is really important we do a great job of that i think uh, we are more forgiving if you will with children um than we are with adults for sure um a good i I just as a a side note uh nadia bolts weber has a podcast uh called the confessional Yep. Where it's kind of related to this, where people like confess like they're the worst thing they ever did in their life. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really beautiful moment where they're able to say that this was my worst moment and here's where I am now. And often they've made great strides and t- like in redeeming themselves and I just think it's a a neat podcast if you're interested in the concept
2: yeah we all love a a good redemption story like usually in the abstract usually in some kind of art or fiction you know yeah Um, and for certain people in society but we don't always believe in those redemption arcs for everyone and oftentimes those redemption arcs are not available to you know you know black and brown people who have been you know, convicted of crime or accused of crime, you know, we live under, we live under a stigma of danger and criminality for most of our lives, you know, and uh, (laughs) I know this is a completely different Uh, this is a completely different um, story I'm gonna bring up we we don't have to spend any time on it at all but I I have been thinking about it lately and it's Les Miserables you know I think about like people love that moment where Jean Valjean is caught red-handed stealing some silver from a church and when the the priest who owns the church or sorry doesn't own but leaves the church sees him and is like oh you forgot these other silver things so that he can throw the police police off the trail like people love that moment they applaud that moment but But embodying that thing, embodying the thing that we celebrate in that moment or embodying the thing that we celebrate in Avatar when Aang says, even though Ozai is a war criminal, I'm not going to kill him. You know, uh, that thing that we celebrate in Zuko, you know, when Zuko finally realizes that the, the thing that he's been chasing, like, is actually is actually not what it's all cracked up to be. And he's become a terrible person by pursuing it and decides to take a different path is something that we as a culture, I don't think that's our dominant, I don't think that's our common sense as a culture like we're not offering that to each other. And truth be told, it's the kind of I mean in Christian in Christian terms, I I can only speak to the Christian tradition, we call it grace, right? Um and it's it's not something that we are that I see many people willing to offer to others, right? In um in that way and for good reason, you know? Like Yeah, You know, it's, it's not without, or I should say it's not without reason that we don't, but I, I long for a world where we do.
1: Yeah. We almost got through a full episode without me mentioning Brene Brown, but (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, um, we can't let that happen. We can't let that happen. Uh, you know, she talks about how, uh, vulnerability is the first thing we want to see in other people, but the last thing we want to admit that we have. Right. And. This, to me, what you've been saying really strikes me as that argument. Like, it's, we we see this character, Jean Valjean, and all these characters, like, be vulnerable, and we want to see other people do that. But as soon as we are called to be vulnerable, right. we're like, nope, no thank you. <laughs> and it's the same thing with courage. Like, we name, like, what does it mean to be Uh, to be courageous, and then everybody names people being vulnerable, right? And so, like, oh, to sing on stage, to do these things, and, like, to love someone else. Like, in what world is that not vulnerable, right? And so it's – what you're describing to me, grace, if you will, is extremely vulnerable, and I think that's what makes it so difficult, right?
2: Yeah.
0: No, I absolutely. I think that that's just – you get this moment where there's a, there's an inherent risk of being willing to kind of say, this is a person that's hurt me or something that has hurt me. And I'm going to give them a chance to not do that again, yeah. but also in the same moment, give them an opportunity to do that again. And yeah. that requires immense vulnerability. Yeah. Um, and we hope, we hope that that, that, you know, they lean to the side of Zuko or Iroh. Um, For sure. And then, but that doesn't always happen. And so that's, uh, And I think it's... It's it's messy. It's icky.
2: It is super messy. And I think it's worth saying that, like, to give someone grace if you will. <laughs> to give someone grace doesn't mean that you have to be the person that walks with them to their redemption story, right? <laughs> like
0: I love like, that. You know what I mean? Like
2: yeah. you can give someone grace and stay away from them for your own safety because that's wisdom on your part. <laughs> like hear, hear. you know. Yeah. Um, and just just to just to reiterate like I wish that there was like one like a simple, simple clear-cut answer and i don't think that there is and that's partly why like that's partly why violence kind of gives us that kind of simplicity that uh that that helps us to avoid all of that right like because you know op- oppressed people could just say kill the oppressor you know yeah, and we don't have to deal sure. with you know whether or not the oppressor will ever hurt will ever hurt anyone again just annihilate them you know yeah um but again i uh, you know, I think that Dr. King and others have a have a point when they say that if we try to handle things that way, like we are perpetuating a cycle without end. It has to stop somewhere. And what that solution is, I mean, I don't know conclusively or universally or comprehensively, you know. But that's why we that's why it re- requires imagination and creativity. Absolutely, yeah.
1: So I, I want to be mindful of our time, and then I also want to make sure we hit this final thing. At least on my list is. Uh, you know, your list is so important, Ben, you know, (laughs) what, whatever. Uh, but like, so I, I, the, it is not over after Aang defeats Ozai. And I think that's really important to highlight. Yeah. Uh, and Zuko gives a speech that like, I just like tears during Zuko's speech. Mm. It's just like, it's so uh, what I want right now—it's what, <laughs> what I want from people right now. You want
0: a leader to give that speech? Yes, currently? that's
1: all I want. And so Zuko like says, "It's—we're not done. We have a history, a long history of oppression that we have to to try and repair." Yeah. And he says, "It's not going to be easy." He says, "We're going to work on this, but it's yes. something that I'm willing to take on, and I want us to do because it's the right thing." right mm-hmm. and i just think that uh, a lot of times we we have this story on our mind where we're like you know it'll be great when this happens and i think one of the things that's really important is like even if we vote trump out of office yep. it's not over no definitely right? not definitely not it's not over right and so we have a we have a, a long hard future ahead of us regardless of what happens in this election yeah and we have a responsibility to see it done.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: Well, yeah. That's your call to action, everyone. (laughs) Yeah, there it is. (laughs) That'll fix it all. Um, uh, Andre, any other points that we want to hit before we kind of jump in, take a quick break, and then uh, join in our our devotion and our gratitude for the episode? Any other major points from the episode?
2: No, I think that's it.
0: Perfect. All right, we will take a quick break, and we'll be right back
1: all right everybody we are back for our devotion and i am so excited that andre decided to stay for us for this part we got uh fire is our element today fire is our element and of course we are trying to the whole point of this devotion uh if you've been listening but is to set a goal for ourselves, an intention, if you will, for the coming week um, about this through the lens of fire and nonviolent struggle. And so just a reminder for everybody, fire is this... uh, think about fire from any perspective whether it is something that's warming whether it's something that's bold whether it's something that can be damaging uh fire like needs this element of control you think about it needs fuel there's just so many different aspects to think about so uh however this comes to you so i'm gonna i'm gonna throw it to sunshine and ask him like sunshine what kind of a goal are you setting with the lens of fire and nonviolent struggle
0: I think for me, uh, maintaining a fire, and we've, we've kind of talked about this before, it takes – you can't be passive about it. You can't just set everything up and kind of – let you can't put your sticks together and then light it and let it go. It's going to burn out if you don't tend it and keep taking care of it. Um, the idea that, that Andre presented earlier about uh, nonviolence not being passive, uh, the misconception that it's passive, that you're not mm. doing anything, um, is one that's important to highlight. Um, I think for me, it, in my search to be more active – uh, looking for more opportunities to learn about nonviolent struggle, educating myself on what those tools might be and being able to use those tools um, in participating in protest or anything else like that is, is one that, um, that I need to, to know more about and take an active role in doing. And so that's kind of my call to action for, for myself this, this upcoming week.
1: I love that. I love that. Um, Andre, ha- how, what are you feeling? How are you feeling? Do you have a, a goal for yourself
2: Uh, I can't say that I do. (laughs) That's totally okay. Yeah, that's no worries. Uh, one of the
1: you might be able to help me with mine. So I I I listen to your podcast, and so I am a big fan. I've listened to all your episodes. You mentioned Serja, um, and Serja's that episode was really great. And there's there's so much content right and there's so much knowledge out there and i'm learning even more in school right now like one of my classes is womanist theological ethics so i'm really Mm -hmm. diving deep into womanism which is an excellent thing for anybody to get into but um one of the things for me is I, i i have been nurturing my own fire and by 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 reading and educating myself and learning and uh, one of the things that has continued to add fuel to that flame is your podcast, right? And hmm. w- what I want to do this week is how do I start to bring more people to the fire, right? How do I spread this fire? How do I spread it in a in a way that is going to uh, – like I can't just carry a stick <laughs> that's on fire and give it to somebody. I have to do it in a way where they're going to feel – confident taking it on they have to take like it's because fire can be scary it can lead to dangerous things but at the same time how do i make sure that people are able to take it and then feel comfortable nurturing it and helping it grow themselves so my my goal is to recommend your podcast to three people say hey have you considered i know this is a a subject that you want to learn more about have you considered this as a resource Mm. um and so that's going to be my my thing that i want to do this week I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, for real. So one of the ways that I'm going to do that is say, hey, everyone should listen to Andre's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying it right now. Y'all should do it.
2: Uh, Andre, where where can they find you, just as a quick aside? Oh, so um, the best place to find... Uh, well, I mean, you could go into your favorite podcatcher, obviously, if you go to Apple or spotify or whatever just type in hope and heart pills um or you could follow my email list which you could find at my website andrehenry.co every week i send out a little bit of insight about social change from what i've been learning and my experiences and whenever we have new podcast episodes we send it out directly to your inbox i love that great cool um this kind of brings us to
1: gratitude, gratitude, which is really one of my favorite parts. I've said it before of, of the episode since we've started incorporating it. And I just love giving gratitude to people. So Sun- Sunshine, do you want to go first? What's what's a, a moment, a person, somebody in the episode that you want to be grateful for? Yes,
0: I'm going to be grateful towards uh, Ty Lee. Um, that's mine we haven't talked about her I know she's very small very small role in this she's not small she's a very small role in okay. this okay. Episode. Okay. 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 Ben. <laughs> um I love I when we were talking about um taking away resources that really brought up G-blocking to me mm. as a way that's almost a, yeah a, as like a nonviolent way to take away resources. And, and it is very defensive and it is how do we stop this attack from happening? And she teaches that to the, all the Kyoshi warriors as a way of kind of um, almost a, atoning for her past sins or struggles, uh, which is I think just a really cool moment. And I love that she's kind of found a place to belong. That's, for her and I just, I want to give gratitude towards her. I think that, that she, she earned it. She gets it.
1: And what a great like setup for Chi blockers in Cora y'all. Like, I'm so excited to get to Cora. <laughs> There's so much there. There's just so, there much. so much to get there. Um, and you remember we, we are to get there. We need 50 Patreon supporters. We're, we're, we're getting close and we really are looking forward to having y'all support us. If you can, that's the goal.
0: Mm. Um,
1: that was a, a little small aside. Sorry about that. Patreon.com
0: slash BNB underscore pod. <laughs> yep. Fantastic. You get bonus episodes. You get
1: uh, all kinds of stuff, access right? to an
0: online community. All these things.
1: Oh, man. Okay. Sorry. Back to gratitude. Uh, Andre, would you like to share your moment, or would you like me to go first?
2: Sure, I can. Um, and I, I mentioned this earlier. This is the thing that makes me love this series so much is that moment where Aang decides that he's going to take away uh, Ozai's bending rather than killing him. And so Aang is someone that I'm really grateful for um, in this episode. Wow.
0: I love Aang. He's just he's so great. We mm-hmm. honestly don't give him a, a lot of gratitude. We, we don't. typically
1: don't. And he, like, why not? Because he, well, he needs it. I, in my head, I feel like he's the main character. Like, I don't want to like, and so I feel like we naturally are picking lesser known, but Aang deserves all the gratitude, y'all. He's been great. He's I love him. Such a hard decision. That was such a uh, good I'm, for Aang. I'm glad that you picked him because yes. somebody should have. Um <laughs> very true. So we were talking offline for a, a minute and uh it was I realized that a lot of Aang's nonviolence, in if you will, uh, in this episode in particular, is rooted in the lessons from the lion turtle. Mm. and I really am you talk about earlier Andre about all of the the discipline required and the learning and Aang had to be taught this Aang had to learn this not only did he learn discipline from all the bending and all the stuff but he had a teacher in the lion turtle that was able to give him this this tool to be nonviolent. and I think that's critical. And so I I am so grateful for the Lion Turtle and all of the teachers that are out there that are giving people tools to to embrace and lean into nonviolence as a tactic moving forward.
0: Love that. Absolutely love that.
1: Mm. All right, well,
0: that, that that's it. That's our show. That's our season. That's the wow. season?
2: Isn't
0: that crazy? That's it. We want to get to, we're, you know, who knows book one legend of Cora, we're co- might be coming your way we'll see, see that's the hope um but Andre again thank you so much for for your time today and, and for for taking this time to be with us and and to talk about all of these important things um can't say thank you enough uh, everyone go check out the podcast Hope and Hard Pills um wonderful and and again thank you so much for being here
2: it's my pleasure You're welcome
0: back yep. anytime thanks for having for me for
2: sure
1: Ben, anything you want to add before we head on out for
0: the evening, for the day, whatever time you're listening to this podcast?
1: Just, you know, I'm also grateful for Max. This season has been yeah, infinitely better here. because of Max.
0: Yeah. Max, we love you. We'll see you back here in the studio soon. Well, once again, I'm Sunshine Mayfield. And this has been Bruitt. And this has been Bending, Not Breaking. Thank you for listening.